0: And good afternoon. And I'm Al Cresta. The October 7th attack on Israel by Hamas has, again, highlighted for many people um, the remarkable fact that Israel, as a state, as a nation-state, uh, was dates from 1948, uh, technically. But the question is, what is the relationship of the biblical promises regarding covenant and land to the Jewish people. And again, I'm not saying that uh, you know I don't have the same attitude towards this that a lot of evangelical and Pentecostal preachers have that tells us that we can uh, calculate somehow by the return of Israel to the land in 1948 uh, that somehow we can be, you know, come up with the day and the hour of Christ's return. But I am concerned about this idea of the land, because frankly, uh, as a Christian for many years and as a Catholic for even more, uh, <laughs> I I never give this gave this a lot of thought. And yet, when you read Romans chapter 9 through 11, St. Paul gave all this a lot of thought. Romans chapter 11 begins, I ask then, has God rejected his people? And then he says, by no means. And then he goes and continues his argument. So what are those promises and uh, that were made to Israel under the Old Covenant? And um, in chapter uh, chapter 11, verse 29, uh, St. Paul also writes that the gifts and the call of God are irrevocable, irrevocable. So what does that mean for the land? How should we see it? Well, you know, the my guest, Dr. Lawrence Feingold, is Associate Director of Theology and Philosophy at Kendrick, Kendrick Glenn Seminary in St. Louis. And I just came across an essay of his recently called The Return to the Land of Israel as an Eschatological Sign in the Light of Romans Chapter 11. It's in a, uh, it's an essay in a collection called Contemporary Catholic Approaches to the People, Land, and the State of Israel. And I knew uh, Dr. Feingold's work uh, from his three-volume book uh, uh, called The Mystery of Israel in the Church, and again, uh, tremendous, tremendous uh, material here, a great amount of work. And I thought, if I had a question about the land and its current status in Catholic thinking, I don't know who else I would be better to talk with. And Dr. Fongel, great to have you here. Thanks. Thank you for having me. It's a great pleasure. Well, let's let's go to this. Um, And... Before we go there, you make a you make a point in your essay that you you are talking about um, the land as an eschatological sign, and that you weren't really making uh, out to make any political statements uh, about this. Is that right? That's for sure. Yeah. Yep. Okay.
1: Yes, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a theologian. I'm um, looking at it from the point of view of um, Catholic theology, and and. And only
0: that. Yeah. No, I think that that's good, and it's good to get that on the table here. Um, mm-hmm. What the limits are of what we say. Uh, I w- I would venture to say that most Catholics, you know, again at a popular level, would simply think of the Jewish people as well. Um, they had their chance uh, to accept Messiah. They didn't. And then God kind of moved on and has the church now, and that's what he's interested in. And, um, you know, that's too bad, but, you know, Israel had its chance, and its disobedience meant it's now excluded from any special concern of God. And I say, that's, a, I think, a fairly popular understanding.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: And, and But as you said, and...
1: That doesn't seem to square with what St. Paul says in Romans <laughs> and chapter 11, verse 29. Right. right. That God's gifts and calling are irrevocable, and God is faithful even when human beings are unfaithful.
0: Yes, and I think this is what is really fascinating and ex- in exalting. I love this. Um, technically, this idea that God has um, rejected Israel and replaced Israel with the church is technically called supersessionism, is that right?
1: Right,
0: yeah. Tell, so that's what a, that a is.
1: technical term that theologians use.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just elaborate on that a bit for me. Sometimes,
1: in simpler language, replacement theology, sure. one could say.
0: Okay, very good. Um, you make the point in the essay here that it's in, that idea of replacement theology is incompatible ...with the biblical principle of God's fidelity, which transcends right. and is not annulled by human infidelity. Uh, you also point out that it's incompatible uh, with Romans eleven twenty eight and 29, which says that as regards election, the Jews are beloved for the sake of the forefathers, for the gifts and call of God are irrevocable... And then you quote Nostra Tate 4, Nevertheless, God holds the Jews most dear for the sake of their fathers. He does not repent of the gifts he makes or the calls he issues, such as the witness of the apostle, which then goes to quote right. Romans and chapter so that's 11.
1: quoting again, or referring to yeah. um, St. Paul, Romans eleven twenty-eight and 29. How? Yeah, so that's that's um, a foundation, it seems to me, for Catholic theology today yeah. in reflecting on the significance of um Israel in um, in the holy land and have and God hasn't rejected them
0: right or revoked their covenant how does that square with catholic thinking through the ages
1: um there's always a tendency um, a human tendency to oversimplify sure and it's easy in this case i think to fall into a tendency like that and so um great theologians like thomas aquinas have always um interpreted romans chapter 11 as in the way that we just said and then other verses of saint paul that speak about the fidelity of god and the faithfulness of god but generally there was the widespread view that yes the church had replaced the um, the synagogue, or Israel, and therefore the promises um, given to Israel simply were transferred to the church. And that's where over um, it becomes oversimplified. And so the right... So this is going to take a little... Let me see if I can explain this yeah, go ahead. Um, simply and clearly. The And um, the key, it seems to me, is to look at this from the point of view of biblical typology. So in the Old Testament, many things... Um, that had a meaning in their own time and place, point forward and prefigure Christ, the Church, and the sacraments. And so we can say the whole of Israel is not just events in Israel, like the manna in the desert, or the crossing of the Red Sea, or the um, Ark of the Covenant, but even the whole life of Israel in some way was prefiguring the Church. Mm. But that doesn't mean that it um, would lose its reason for being, when Christ comes. It's still, so that's really, I think, the difficult thing to see and the one I would want to most our listeners to come away with. But, so, um, yes, Israel was chosen, Abraham was chosen um, 2,000 years before the Incarnation to be the forefather of a people in whom God would become man. And so Israel's mission was to be the people of the Incarnation in whom God would become incarnate and preparing the way for him. And now people might wonder, after he's become man and um, and founded his church, is there still a point to Israel's election? And we would say, yes. Yeah. They yeah. continue to point um, to God's covenant and God's fidelity and to um, the one who became flesh in their midst. Um, and they're a sign yeah, of God's providence um, till the end of time. That's how I would
0: answer that. So Um, the the type, um, mm -hmm. again, in this case, the type being Israel, is not replaced Mm -hmm. by the reality that it prefigures, right? Um, Right, but continues to point to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Not by way of, you know, opposition, but precisely by way of um, preparation and fulfillment and and it has its own reality, and um, that continues in the people
0: um, descended from Abraham. Yeah, is this the ages. so? Is this been this has been championed over the last generation? It seems to me by uh, popes. I mean, this is is this right. kind of a new, Absolutely. a new so, and deeper yeah. understanding of the faith than we had prior.
1: Right, yeah. So this is a beautiful example of what we theologians call development of doctrine, yeah. something that's been there from the beginning. We could see it in, in Revelation, um, such as the, the verses we said of St. Paul or simply God's fidelity to his covenant. But it's something that, um, as the Church ponders her Revelation, century after century, she comes to see in a deeper way. And, in, and very often it's events of history that help the Church to... Um, things in a deeper way. And in this particular case, the incredible tragedy of the Shoah, or yeah. Holocaust, um, helps, I mean, often in history it's that way. It's a heresy, it's some denial of the faith that requires um, the Church to defend something that previously maybe hadn't, she hadn't um, searched as deeply because she didn't have to defend or, um, or come to terms with um, as, as in the generation after World War Two. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, this is, I mean, the the Shoah uh, has really been a, mm-hmm. a real shake-up for theology in general, Christian theology in general, but uh, in right. the Catholic setting, it's become also fruitful uh, in that it's right. forced us yeah, to so think... John Paul II would be yeah. the one, the Pope who most developed this, um,
1: visiting several synagogues, And um, making reference to um, Nostra Aetate, Second Vatican Council's um, document on um, on Judaism, but then making it clear that that applies to contemporary Jews, and therefore Jews who live in Israel, as well as those in the diaspora throughout the world. And that they are still um, the the sons of Abraham, not um, rejected by God, whose covenant has not been revoked.
0: Hmm. Now, this is, I mean, this is pretty exciting it stuff. Have a, mm-hmm. It's pretty, pretty exciting stuff when you think about it, uh, that we're seeing this happening uh, in the development of Catholic thought now. So right.
1: right, and then more recent popes, um, in particular Pope Benedict and um, Francis, have continued um, making those affirmations, um, if anything, even more strongly. And, um, and we have a series of documents also um,
0: Development different dicastries clarify Uh, Larry hold it there we've got to take a break come back and continue the conversation my guest Dr. Lawrence Feingold he's the author of a three volume work called The Mystery of Israel and the Church Uh, and then recently though I came across an essay of his uh, that has got me thinking about the reality of the land Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest is Dr. Lawrence Feingold. We are discussing uh, the return to the land of Israel and what is its theological significance uh, for Catholics. And uh, pointed out that the event of the Shoah, the Holocaust, gave rise to much serious soul-searching on the part of Christian theologians, including Catholics. And um, there's been a rediscovery of, again, passages from St. Paul, which have often been kind of glossed over. And the key passage, and it's quoted in Nostra Aetate from the Second Vatican Council, and that is that the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Uh, and that's St. Paul says that in the context of a you know, three-chapter argument about the status of the Jewish people now that Messiah has come and that many within the Jewish community have rejected a Messiah. So St. Paul's saying, well, what, he's trying to answer the question, what becomes of the Jews in the future? And so it's been rather an exciting um, time, because if you believe that the gifts and calling of God are irre- irrevocable and that uh, Israel still has an ongoing covenant and promises associated with that covenant, the land is certainly a part of Jewish identity. Now, Larry, before we go back to this in particular, I, I want to talk about what can we think, uh, how, how, we, how does this uh, return to the land function for us uh, in eschatology. But before we go there, I, I want to say there's also a, a view that um, t- t- when we talk about Israel's having uh, an ongoing covenant with God, there are those who say, well, that means, therefore, that there need be no um, presentation of the gospel to Jewish people, and um, they ha- basically, they have their own thing, so don't bother them. <laughs> what do you say to that?
1: Yes, obviously, I don't agree with that. I <laughs> right. Jewish origin, and I've become Catholic, and it's the greatest blessing in the world, um, and... <laughs> And so that's often called dual covenant theory as a kind of technical term. And the problem there is it's putting the two covenants on the same level in a way similar to replacement theology. And, and the point that I was trying to make earlier is that they're not on the same level at all. Right. How could it be? In other words, when if God becomes man and makes the new and eternal covenant, that is going to be on a level transcending, um, a covenant preparing the people for the Incarnation right, and so they're not um on the same level or plane, and Jesus became man for every human being whom he has redeemed on calvary and he's won the grace for every human being to receive um all the grace that we receive during our life, and even if we don 't know about that right and so I would say by the uh, twofold title because he's the son of God and because he redeemed us on the cross every human being has the right to know about him and what he's done for us and especially those for whom he came and by way of an, an obligation of his own very promise and to Abraham and to um, his descendants and such as David yeah and so St Paul when he would uh, preach the gospel would go first to the Jews in every particular place, the synagogue, and then he would present it to the Gentiles that were there.
0: Mm. Because they have a priority. So, yes. Jews, yeah.
1: Right. But of course, we have to be very um, respectful when we do that. Obviously, we don't want to proselytize, mm-hmm. but to evangelize. Right. And that means not putting any um, undue pressures, or um, not, um, um, we can't fail to respect the dignity of their covenant when we present the Gospel. Right? So it's delicate to present the Gospel, and it needs to be done in a way that really um, grasps and um, we could say the glories of the chosen people that St. Paul enumerates at the beginning of Chapter 9. He says, There's the sonship, the covenants, the promises, the patriarchs, and from them has come um, the Messiah, Christ, God above all forever. Yeah. And so yeah. when we present the Gospel to Jews, we want to, do it in that way, as straight Tate
0: makes clear. Yes, yeah, very good. Um, John, you, you quote John Paul II back from his uh, visit with the Jewish representatives of the Jewish community in Maine's uh, West Germany, uh, November 17, 1980. And I had, noticed, I had never seen this before, but he was making the point that the covenant uh, with Israel has never been revoked. And that it refers to the meeting of new covenant people of God with the old covenant people of God and refers to it as a dialogue within our church between the first and the second part of the Bible. <laughs> I think that's that's really what, yeah. the, the the way we're talking about this. we're acknowledging that mm-hmm. there's a covenant there it's real um it's foundational it it points and what, what we're saying though is that it points uh to this uh i don't know, it might New covenant or renewed covenant uh, mm-hmm. that we refer to, and so we're carrying on the conversation uh, with the Jewish people not as outsiders, but as people who uh, understand the covenant with God. And uh, yeah, I, do you Beautiful. do you think that um, you know the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel in 1948? You, you take great care to, not to make sure that we're not necessarily trying to come up with a day-and-hour scenario here of when right, Jesus yes, will return. that's really important. Yeah, yeah.
1: Right, because that can often be the way it's thought of in evangelical, in some evangelical circles. Right. And so I'm using the word, so I do call it an eschatological sign, but I'm using the word in a different way.
0: And that's what I wanted so you to something tell us. It can be
1: an eschatological sign, even though it's centuries away from Christ's second coming.
0: That's right. Because
1: it's pointing in some way to his action. And an example that was the destruction of Jerusalem nineteen centuries ago. That was Jesus uses that in his eschatological discourse as a kind of sign, a tragic sign. And and so we could see this return to the land as an and also a sign not not tragic in itself, although accompanied by tragedy, which is the continued strife In the land. That's right. So, just for me, going to we lived. My wife and my our family lived in the Holy Land, and for a year in the 90s, and it was we lived in the old city, and walking distance from the Holy Sepulchre. It was such a joy to be in the in the Holy Land, and for two reasons: because that's the land where Jesus walked and did his mysteries, but also because it's the land of the old covenant of of um, of the people of Israel and all of God's action in the Old Covenant. And the prophets often speak of um, yeah, exile as a um, um, in some way as a, a penalty for infidelity to the Covenant in different senses, but speak of the coming back to the land as a um, a wedding, as it were, with the land and its people. And so it's beautiful to see in the in Israel today that wedding, as it were, of the land and its ancient people. Yeah. But of course it's Tragic, right? To see the continual pain sure. and um, and conflict that accompanies
0: it. Yeah, I, there's the picture of Isaiah in chapter 62, where he's talking about the relationship between the Lord who indwelt in the land and and the and the right. um, it, it, it's got nuptial imagery. It's really quite shocking. Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so let's let's talk about you know we have this terrible situation uh, in Israel right now. Um, and Catholics obviously want to show due respect uh, to the covenant. They want to show due mm-hmm. respect to this uh, return to the land as an eschatological sign. Uh, what does that commit them to in terms of the Jewish people in Israel now? Yeah. And I would want to be careful here um, so, the church
1: allows different views on this, and you could, you can see the different views in that volume that you mentioned um from which um in which my article is included mm-hmm. right? so obviously Catholics have different views on this, but I think we would want to see that and um, well i would what I would want to say is that we can't simply um see israel um as something you know without theological significance
0: okay. Yeah.
1: But what exactly that significance is, that's something that theologians can, can discuss. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I see it in connection with um, a line from um, our Lord um, when he, and um, this is from Luke's Gospel, um, chapter 21, verses 23 and 24, and he's, here he's uh, weeping over um, what he foresees will be the, the exile for 19 centuries of Jews from the land. And he says, "Great distress shall come upon the earth, wrath upon this people; they will fall by the edge of the sword, be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles mm. until the times of the Gentiles
0: are fulfilled."
1: Wow. Right? And so that was a prophecy, and it was in fact realized for 19 centuries. Yeah. yeah. Um, an exile from the from the land, but now that Jews have returned, it's interesting to ponder that last part of of the verse until the times of the gentiles Gentiles. are fulfilled
0: yeah Yeah. i think
1: the times of the gentiles is and jesus speaks about that's another eschatological sign that the um, church will expand according to the missionary mandate and to the ends of the earth
0: so there are other eschatological signs then uh, right are in the background of this discussion the preaching of the gospel to the nations is one of them yeah.
1: Right, exactly. And it doesn't mean that the end is about to happen any more than when we see earthquakes and national disasters, natural disasters or wars, that the end is going to be tomorrow. Yeah. Right? But there are signs that lift our gaze up from this world and enable us to see that there's a providential plan of God that
0: remains very mysterious, but is real. Right, right. Uh, what would be, uh, are there any other uh, ongoing eschatological signs that you can point to? Yeah, so for me, a very interesting one
1: <laughs> is um, the, um, the fact that in our time, so all through the history of the church, there have always been um, Jews who have come to faith in, in Christ and have become Catholic. Um, but in our time, in the last um, 50 um, and more years, um, We've seen an acceleration of that process. Very often, they um, Jewish believers in Jesus um, don't um, make it all the way into the Catholic Church, and so there are many who are um, called Messianic Jews who um, believe in Jesus the Messiah, but aren't um, um, don't see the the whole um, claim of the the Catholic Church and her sacraments. Um, but so I think that's an eschatological sign as well that the Catechism speaks about in a very suggestive way. In number, uh, can I find it here.
0: Yeah, yeah, I don't have it right in front of me either. So, yeah, talking. Yeah, um,
1: Forty-nine.
0: Talking with Dr. Lawrence Feingold about the mystery of Israel and the Church, and in particular, discussion occasioned by. Uh, our attitude towards the land in the jewish people and uh, we've looked over theres other uh, the return to the land is an eschatological sign a sign pointing uh, to the future uh, you also have the um, uh, an acceleration of uh, jewish people who have in fact professed christ uh, as messiah uh, even though many times they don't Come to full right. communion with the Catholic Church right yeah you get so the, you the get... text
1: is and um, the Catechism, six seventy four
0: six seventy four and again
1: it quotes um saint paul's and um, um, romans eleven yeah and it says the glorious messiah's coming right that would be the second coming is suspended at every moment of history until his recognition by all israel so that 's a quote from Romans 11. Yeah. For a hardening has come upon part of Israel in their unbelief towards Jesus. Yeah. In other words, St. Paul sees the fact that um, many of the Jews, and especially their leadership, didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah as also something mysterious. And that was also part, in some way, and mysteriously, of the divine plan. And a certain um, veil put um, until the time. Right, when that veil would be taken away. That's right, that's right. And, and he, yeah. if their rejection means reconciliation of the world, King Paul says, what will their acceptance mean?
0: Life <laughs> from the dead. Right. Lawrence, we're out of time, and unfortunately. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much. Sorry. Can, can we talk again on this? Sure. I'll give you a call. Thank you. We'd love to.